His name is Lyle Presler, punk rock legend and music industry vet. His name is Jim Shear, most tenured DJ in the history of music television. It's the week in music with Lyle and Jim, and it all starts now. Hello there, everybody. My name is Jim Shear. And I'm Lyle Presler. And on today's episode, Green Day performs on Ellen. Billy Corrigan puts out a box set of eight hours worth of ambient music. We talk about earphones without wires. We say goodbye to Alan Thicke. But before all of that, yesterday, Kanye West showed up at the Golden Tower of Bad Audio. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, cue the waterfalls, cue the reverb. (laughs) This is why it's the Golden Tower of Bad Audio. So he was there to hang out with President-elect Donald Trump to talk about life. In front of the cameras, Trump said that they've been friends for a long time. The meeting ended with a kind of like bro-hug handshake where Trump said, I'll see you soon. Later, in case it didn't make any sense to you, Kanye got on Twitter. Kanye likes Twitter. Trump likes Twitter. He said, I wanted to meet with Trump today to discuss multicultural issues. These issues included bullying, supporting teachers, modernizing curriculums, and violence in Chicago. I feel it is important to have a direct line of communication with our future president if we truly want change. And he later tweeted, hashtag 2024. Now, you may remember at the VMAs, he said that he was going to run for president in 2020. So it looks like he won't run until 2024 after Donald Trump has served two successful terms in office. Mm. Well? 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 (laughs) I mean, it's sort of like, where do we go from here? You know, it's it's funny because all of this, of course, comes off on the heels of, of, of Kanye kind of having a, I don't know what you want to call it, a mini breakdown. Um, I mean, it seems. I don't that even way. know if it would be a mini breakdown. No, maybe it was a it major was a, breakdown. A, a breakdown, yeah, yeah. Um, listen, people can support whatever political viewpoint they want to, whatever candidate they want to, whatever president elect they want to. Um, I found the whole thing to be surreal, but I think we're going to have to get used to that because I think this is all in many ways, surreal, only because we've never seen this before. Uh, Not not necessarily because it is surreal, but because it's not part of the reality that we have come to expect. Um, But if you think this is weird, just wait. (laughs) It's going to get weirder. It almost has to. It has its own momentum. Um, I... I'm kind of thinking it out right now mm. on air. So I'm I may listen to this this show 3 weeks from now or a month from now and be like what was I thinking? But um Well, first of all, imagine Barack Obama setting up a meeting with Kanye West uh before his inauguration. Mm. You know what would be said on the other side? Mhm. But then on the other side of things, I did like Kanye's tweets. You know, he yeah. wants to meet with Trump to discuss multicultural issues, bullying, supporting teachers. I'm down with that. My wife's a teacher. Mm-hmm. Violence in Chicago. I get that. 
Uh, it's important to have a direct line of communication with our future president. Yeah, if you're Kanye West, I, I would like a direct line too, but uh, you know, I, I can't get one. So, <laughs> oh, listen. On the surface of it, it seems all just fine. It's just that you got to look at the back of it. I mean, he's like, look behind the curtain. And, yeah. And what are we dealing with here? And and you mentioned Obama. I mean, Obama never would have had a meeting with Kanye West. <laughs> And certainly not in that kind of environment. So who set up the the meeting between Kanye and Trump? That's another intriguing thing. I mean, but but I I have to say that what I found the most interesting were Trump's tweets or communications after the fact, where he essentially said, I can't say anything, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but I can't say anything bad about Kanye because he's always been supportive of me. Well, okay, think about that in in the broader context. Okay, so you would have normally said something bad about him, but you're not going to because he's always been supportive. And it also is an insight into Trump's psyche, which he's actually admitted that he counterpunches. Like, if anybody says something bad about him, he fights back. As long as you don't say anything bad about him, you're either neutral or on his side. Yeah, like if you're the KKK and you're like, yeah, we want Trump to be president. He's like, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say anything. It's not my job to say anything bad. And, well, I mean, I'll leave it to, you know, everyone out there to decide what that means about his character. but, But it's interesting that he actually comes out and says, you know, I wouldn't say anything bad about Kanye because he's a friend of mine and he supported me. Well, okay, what if he didn't support you? Would you still have had a meeting with him? And by the way, of course, Kanye said he didn't vote, you know, so. But if he, he did. But if he did, he would have. Yeah, if he did, yeah. He I always love that, Trump. you know, if you know, if, if, if Napoleon had had a B-52 at the Battle of Waterloo, you know, then who knew <laughs> what would happen. But, I mean, you were talking about everything being sur- surreal. So in the middle of the year... Kanye West was being heralded as having this great live show, mm. and it, it was the first time I ever remember people talking about Kanye's West, Kanye West's live show as something legendary, Right? because I always thought he wasn't a great live performer, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know what, good for Kanye, he's going out on tour, he's playing good shows, and, and then he melted down yeah. in the middle of a concert, and right. then that's when he went off on Jay-Z and Beyonce, and he said, yeah, if I, if I voted, I would have voted for Trump, and I thought, wow, man, this, this didn't end how I thought it would end. Well, yeah. I guess I thought. I guess at the beginning, I thought of it, it would have ended like that. But during the string of good shows, when everyone's saying, "Hey, man, Kanye's got his shit together," right. you got to see this live show. And now, and then he has a breakdown, and then a week or two later, he's meeting with President-elect Donald Trump. I, I just don't get it. No, the, the, there's <laughs> there's not a lot to get. And I guess, I guess the 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 next question becomes: I mean, can you imagine? I mean. Well, I mean, it's hard to imagine anyway, but can you imagine being in a, quote, household, unquote, with Kim Kardashian and Kanye and the kid? And no. and can you imagine what that's like? It's It's got to be completely crazy. It almost feels like a marriage fight. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I'm going to talk to the president right now. <laughs> And he got on the phone. He's like, I, I'm out of here. I'm going to New York. I'm meeting with the president. 
Like in a regular marriage fight, you say, you know what? I'm just, I'm, I'm going out. I'm going to clear my head for the next half hour. I'm gonna, just going to walk around the block. But right, he goes exactly. and he meets the I'm going to go to the local bar. But instead, <laughs> he says, I'm going to New York. <laughs> I'm going to meet with President-elect Donald Trump. And we're going to talk about life. Life. Wow. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, and I, 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 it's amazing to me, too, that there would be. Well, I mean, that's not. I guess I should stop myself here. I was going to say that. I, I was going to say that there's nothing in common. Like, what, what, are, what, what are their lives in common? But I guess there is something in common. I mean, they both are wealthy people. Uh, they both inhabit a rare world. And even, even putting aside all that, I mean, life is life. I mean, everyone has problems. So I guess that's a basis for having a discussion. Um, but I would love to have been a fly on the wall to hear that discussion. Now, apparently it was only 15 minutes. Yeah, that's a pretty short time. I mean, if you take away, like, the greetings and the how you doings, right. I mean, it's, we're doing Seinfeld here, but it really boils down to about 12 minutes or 14, you know, 13 minutes, something like Maybe that. Maybe 10 minutes. Maybe 10 yeah. minutes, yeah. Yeah, it's nothing. <laughs> okay. So... Yesterday, news broke that actor Alan Thicke died at the age of 69 after having a heart attack while playing hockey with his son, Carter. Mm. Most of Americans know Thicke as the dad on the 80s sitcom Growing Pains. Uh, He was also, everyone knows, he's the father of singer Robin Thicke. And a lot of people didn't know that he composed some famous TV theme songs. Really? Different Strokes, Facts of Life, Wheel of Fortune, just to name a few. And he was the lead singer on the Different Strokes theme song. No, I did not know that. Yes. Yes. Really? Yes. Well, my whole opinion of him has changed. I mean, he, and when you listen to the Different Strokes theme song, you could envision him having a musical career like his son. Okay. Well. But he was just, he was so good and natural on camera that that's the, the lane he chose. And he was. He was really natural. I mean, I think I'm thinking in. I'm thinking right now about him and that sort of gravelly voice, and and he mm-hmm. he always was a real natural for it. So rest in peace to Alan Thicke, another icon lost in 2016. And we should mention. So, we should mention with icons. We should mention Greg Lake, of Emerson Lake. And oh Palmer. yes, yes. And um, I think I've said before the first big show I ever went to was Emerson Lake and Palmer. At the Capitol Oh, really? Center. Yeah, that was the first big rock show I ever went to. I, I, I had a friend, and I dragged my father. My father, I think, slept through the whole thing. But, um, <laughs> but uh, and 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 it's easy to dismiss Greg Lake and the whole prog rock thing. But remember that Greg Lake not only had Emerson Lake and Palmer, but he founded King Crimson along with Robert Fripp, mm. and he he once said, and this is what I found funny. Uh, he said that uh, the only guitar they were thinking about getting a guitar player for Emerson Lake and Palmer, and the only guitar player they could come up with who could really keep up with them was Jimi Hendrix, but they thought it would be a problem because then their initials would be Help, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> so the year's winding down, Lyle. Crazy, yeah. In a couple couple weeks, it's going to be 2017. And uh, a lot of websites and magazines and publications are publishing their best of albums list for 2016, best songs of the year. Rolling Stone recently published their list. 
And I don't know why, Lyle, but every time I read these lists, it <laughs> angers me. It, it's just someone trying to be so cool or something. So let me read to you Rolling Stones Albums of the Year. Okay. Now, what would you pick as an album of the year contender? Uh, I, I, I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> That's okay. how little I pay attention to lists. Okay, so um, their album of the year at number one, Lemonade from Beyonce. Was that rele- was that actually released? <laughs> yeah, it was. Okay, all right. Yeah, it's out there. Number two, Black Star from David Bowie. Love David Bowie, but is that the number two album of the year? No, no. Come on now. Uh, number three, Coloring Book from Chance the Rapper. Mm-hmm. A lot of critics like that album. Yeah, yeah. Number four, Teens of Denial from Car Seat Headrest. A lot of critics also like that band. Right. Number five, Blonde from Frank Ocean. And, and I said, I, you can see where this is going now. Okay, but you All see, of these... okay, let me, let's stop there for a second. That was a tempest in a teacup. Explain. Well, I mean, it, 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 you know, there was this whole thing about how it was going to come out, when it was going to come out, and all this stuff, and it came out, and basically I never heard another word about it. <laughs> I mean, there was the video with the construction and all that stuff, and then I never heard... Now, now granted, I'm not the most plugged-in person in the world, Jim, but mm-hmm. I never heard anyone else talk about it ever again. Now that may be not that may have nothing to do with the quality of the record. It may have something to do with the way media works today. But I was thinking about this with respect to movies. And I was wondering why I never really seem to know how well a movie's doing. Okay? Yeah. And and it's no, sort of I... like movies come out and then and then I sit there and I, and now, now granted one of my great failings in life because I do love movies is that I don't go to enough of them. Um, it just seems to work out that way in my life. I just don't, um, and I always feel bad about it. And, and it's funny when Academy Awards come around. I, I sit there and I go, "Well, I haven't seen it, haven't seen it, haven't seen it, haven't seen it." You know, I was, and, and I still root for the people that I root for, but I n- never saw any of them. And I think part of the problem, I isolated part of the problem. Part of the problem is is that in the old days, you used to get the newspaper, and you'd go to the movie section, and there'd be ads. Mm-hmm. And there would be, you know, the biggest ads were generally the mm-hmm. ones that were doing really, really well. So they'd list all the theaters that's playing at at the bottom, and you'd say like, "Oh my goodness, you know, Mad Max is playing at 16 theaters in Washington D.C." It must and then like be a month well. later, and then a month later, you say it's still playing, right? Exactly. So it's doing so well. You, you had a sense that it's happening. Now in my town, city. Um, the, the, the theaters rotate movies really, really fast. So you can't get, mm-hmm. from the marquee, you can't get necessarily an impression of how well the movie's doing because they rotate them out really quickly. Um, even if they're doing well, they just rotate them out. I don't know why that is, but they do it. So I don't even get a sense from the marquee whether something is is doing well or... I mean, obviously, with the big ones, you know. I mean, if it's Star Wars, you know right. what's going on. But... Um, and I get the same thing from music sometimes. I don't really know if something's really doing well. It's kind of hard to tell because there's usually this big flash and then it kind of recedes and you don't know whether it's got staying power or not. I was thinking about the, the, the same thing a couple weeks ago because I thought, what do we rally behind these days? Just because there's media coming at us from all angles? Right. 
20 years ago, it's like, all right, these are the five movies, and if you're an alternative kid and, and you like things under the radar, here are your five movies. Exactly. But in 2016, I'm like, how do, how do we gauge things? Like, well, what do we rally behind? I felt like Strange Things kind of had that feel this summer, yep. which was a Netflix series. And, and Westworld. And West, yeah, I heard a lot about Westworld. And then, you know, there's shows like Breaking Bad or Walking Dead where people talk about, and you're like, okay, yeah, I, I feel like this is a thing. But there's a lot of things, like a lot of movies, a lot of albums that just kind of fly under the radar. They're big for a couple weeks, and it's like, yeah, what happened to them? Right, exactly. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean by the way, that, there's, that it went bad. It just means you don't hear about it. Yeah. I mean, it could be doing great. But you don't well, know, so it's it's so the Frank Ocean thing is a little weird to me because it's sort of like there was this big thing and then I heard nothing. Yeah, and doing great these days probably means getting lots of streams, exactly, not selling lots of units. So the number six album <laughs> of 2016, a moon shaped pull from Radiohead. Really? <laughs> yeah. So this one, but this one even bugs me more. The number seven album. Of 2016, Blue and Lonesome from the Rolling Stones. This is a covers album, which was just released a week or two ago. Oh, come on. How is it one of the best albums of the year? Oh, that's it's no It's not good. even a studio album. Yeah. And and by the way, I mean, I mean I've, I've heard a couple of cuts from it. I mean, if you like the blues and you like, you know, guys from 1965 singing the blues, then yeah, it's, it's fine. I had a friend who really took this seriously, and he said, my cutoff is December 1st. He's like, because an album needs more than a month to grow on you. Well, I would think so. Yeah. So an album released two weeks ago shouldn't be heralded as the number seven album of the year. I don't think so, no. Uh, The number eight album, according to Rolling Stone of 2016, The Life of Pablo from Kanye West. Okay. Of course. Number nine album, You Want It Darker from Leonard Cohen. I'm sure his death had a lot to do with that. Do you think? It was a good no, it was a good album, but it wasn't number nine of the year. And the number ten album, Jeffrey from Young Thug. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of those. I think Pitchfork probably has their list out now too. And I'm sure Frank Ocean, Beyonce, Kanye, and Radiohead, David Bowie, and Leonard Cohen landed on their list as well. <laughs> I would imagine. So singles of the year. Now, to me, this is where I really take exception because a single has to be a song that penetrates mainstream America. Definitely. Can't be like, oh man, that's, ooh, yeah, that's really cool. It's like a, an eight-minute eight jam out. That's my single of the year. No, it has to be a, a, a big song Definitely. that we rally behind. Yep. So the number one single of 2016, Formation from Beyonce. I can't sing Formation, nope. but I can sing Cake by the Ocean, baby. Exactly. Uh, number two song of 2016, according to Rolling Stone, Ivy from Frank Ocean. I, I can't sing no, that no, one no, either. No, 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 I mean, my, listen, you... my daughter could compile this list, and it would be accurate. Uh, yes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm being completely serious. I, she could tell me. We could sit down with her right now, and she could say, well, you know, Cake by the Ocean, and she could start going through the Ariana Grande songs. I mean, you, you know, the Demi Lovato song. I mean, like... The, you could get the singles. It wouldn't be a problem. Yes, and that's what I want. So, number three, One Dance from Drake. Yeah, I get that. Okay, all right, yeah. 
Because that was number one for a slew, I think for number one for 10, 11 weeks over the summer. Sure. Uh, the number four single of 2016, No Plan from David Bowie. <laughs> How does that one go? No. I don't know. Uh, number five single of 2016, Ultra Light Beam from Kanye West. Number six, Projection from Power Bottom. Number seven, Cranes in the Sky from Solange. Mm. Uh, okay. Uh, number eight, Work from Home from Fifth Harmony and Ty Dolla Sign. Okay. That got okay. a lot of play yeah, on the radio. No, that, that, yeah. yeah. I might put that in my, my top 20 or 30. Yeah. Uh, number nine, Pain from Level Up. That's a, a rock group that mm. a lot of critics like. And number 10, sure, this makes sense, Black Beatles from Ray Shermerd. Yeah. Which is currently number one. Yeah, but that's another recent song. Rece- yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying it shouldn't be in there, but it's a recent, recent song. But yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I just don't see... I, don't, I mean, if you're going to be serious about this, then be serious about what singles actually charted and stayed and, and were on the radio and people were listening to day after day after day. And I can tell you, I've listened to them day after day after day. (laughs) Uh, We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will heat up the old carometer. Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What might be right for you may not be right for some. Everybody, Jim Shear with Lyle Presler on the week in music. Oh, before we turn on the carometer, did you read the story that someone saved an old CBGB's awning and sold it for thirty thousand dollars at auction? No. Yeah. Wow. Because I think I don't know how many awnings they had throughout the years. Probably a few. Yeah, because I remember it being pretty. Whenever torn up. I would, when, yeah, I mean, you would see like a, a beat up one, and then you'd pass CBGBs a few weeks later, and it'd be a brand new one. Like, oh, okay, they replaced it. So I don't know how many they went through, but uh, apparently there was one in the late '90s, early 2000s that was tossed away. A guy kept it; he held onto it for a few years, and then he sold it at auction for thirty thousand dollars. You know, I have to say, and I'm not in favor of that kind of stuff, but I have to say that I don't think that's completely unreasonable. See, a lot of people would say, well, why would you throw that out? When I was at MTV2, <laughs> we did a show called Subterranean. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember. And we would, we would have all the artists sign the wall before they left. So we had Robert Smith and Sonic Youth and Beck and whoever came through. And at the end of the year, they, they kind of knew that they were going to tank the show and then tank the production unit. So they said, all right, we're not taping in here anymore. And they said, well, what are you guys going to do with the set? And like, oh, we're just going to throw it out. So that's what they, they didn't even save it. Wow. So I heard, and I don't know if it's true, uh, there were a couple guys that worked there, and they brought their truck 
and they salvage some of the walls. Oh, good. But they don't care. It's like, yeah, we're just tossing it out. Uh, I um, I think I heard a story similar to that when they were getting rid of uh, Letterman's whole thing at the Ed Sullivan Theater, mm-hmm. and they were going to remodel it for Stephen Colbert. There were a lot of old photographs, and I think they were just tossing them out, like Beatles pictures and stuff like that. See, I love that. Now, I, I, I love the idea that there are people out there that toss them out. Because yes. that means that someone can find them. Yeah. See, if everybody saves everything, it's sort of like the action figure thing. You know, if you have 70s action figures in the box, <laughs> yes. they're worth a fortune, right? Mm-hmm. Because we no opened one, them back yeah, then. Yeah, because everyone opened them. But now, if you have an action figure, like if you have a Spawn action figure from the 90s in a box, everyone's like, yeah, who cares? Because everyone, my brothers, because my friends, they would buy one to open, and then they would buy two to just keep and put in a box. Right. Well, it's like the baseball card thing. Everyone says, like, yeah, yeah, my mother threw out all my baseball cards. Well, thank goodness, because <laughs> otherwise, there'd be all those Mickey Mantle rookie cards hanging around out there. Yeah. It's the only the only reason that they're valuable is because they are rare. Mm-hmm. So I love it when people throw that stuff out and dumpster divers go in and get the stuff out because they're holding on to something and now it actually has value because it was thrown away. If it, everything is encased in plastic and put into a warehouse, then it becomes like Indiana Jones, you know? I mean, it's like all in a warehouse somewhere. <laughs> wow, you're getting deep today. I know. With some good point. We don't rally around things behind anymore mm-hmm. and we need people to throw things away Absolutely. so things become valuable. Yep. All right, so let's turn on the old carometer. Uh, tell me what it ranks on your carometer, Lyle. Uh, first up, uh, next year, Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie is going to release a song-by-song cover album of Teenage Fan Club's 1991 Bandwagon-esque, which he calls his favorite record from his favorite band of all time. What does this rank on your carometer? Uh, I think that's pretty good. I think that's, that's like a solid seven. You know what? I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I'll go seven as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm yeah, probably I, I, I'm not going to rush out to get it. No, no. But if you're a fan of both bands, that's awesome. Well, I also think it's great that he has the leisure to do that. <laughs> no, and I, I, I don't mean. I know that sounds sarcastic, but it's not. I mean, I think that's great that if he can sit there and go, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna record all these songs. I think that's fantastic, and that is, that is a great record. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So just have that same frame of mind when I do a <laughs> a cover by cover oh. remake of Check Your Head. <laughs> there you go. Don't say Jim. Jim, Jim you please need to stop Jim. Stop Jim. it. Get your head out of that. (laughs) This is a fun one. In March, Billy Corgan performed an eight-hour ambient set at a tea shop in Chicago. I think it was inspired by some type of novel. Forty people were in attendance. Uh, It will now be released as a 5LP box set, which you can purchase for $375. Only 500 will be pressed. What does this rank on your carometer? Well... I mean, there's on on one hand zero. <laughs> on the other hand, knowing what I know about Billy, this is just a a, a gigantic prank. 
Okay, so he's probably <laughs> sitting there going, I wonder how many of these I'm going to sell. <laughs> and, and won't it be funny to contact each one of these people and ask them what they think? Have they listened to the entire thing? <laughs> so I on the and that level, I give it a ten. I mean, like you know, okay. it's like it's like sort of I'm I'm kind of you know, and 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 by the way, it doesn't fall anywhere in between. It's either a ten or a zero. There's nothing. Or a zero. There's nothing in between. Okay. I'm gonna give it a one. Okay, give it a one. Yeah, I I appreciate the effort, but I I don't care for eight hours of ambient music. No, and I did I didn't care for it when I actually had to sit there and listen to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> not Billy's, but other people's. I wanted to um, ask you one karometer thing. Yes. Madonna. Uh huh. Okay, so she's she did the. Carpool karaoke thing. Did you watch that? Yes, I didn't see it yet. No. Okay, you should watch that. I think it's kind of fun. Okay. Um, they're driving around Manhattan. It's it's kind of fun. And then she gave a speech at the Women in Music. Uh, I heard that. Which I have to say, I've been a little bit of a disser over the years. Uh huh. But I'm actually starting to think that maybe she has something. There's something about her that's kind of endearing and maybe enduring. Yeah. Because I think that the message she gave was that... And, and see, my diss on her has always been like, oh my God, please stop. Like, stop messing with your face and stop messing with your accent and stop messing with pretending that you're 20. But she kind of turned the tables on me by basically saying, like, why should I grow old? Why should I? Mm -hmm. Why should I? Why should I act like you expect me to act? And mm -hmm. I, and there's part, and maybe it's because I'm growing old, but there's part of me that says, yeah, you know what? All right. Okay. I can see it. No, yeah, because for those that missed the speech... She said, here's how women are supposed to act in the industry. And I think her last one was, you can't age. Right. Because if you age, then everyone just acts like you're doing some incredible sin. Right. Exactly. And I, I that, that I mean, again, maybe it's because I'm growing old, but, but it, it, it had a little bit of resonance for me. And I thought the carpool karaoke thing, she was very funny. Um, I wish she'd just stop the accent thing because it's just she goes in and out of it so it doesn't it, mm -hmm. it's like uh, you're from detroit okay let's just leave it at that so but but i i i started to maybe turn a little bit of a corner on all that. right i don't know my friend peter will be happy about that i, I th i've turned the corner a long time ago okay good yeah we're on the same street so <laughs> finally Apple's wireless earbud headphones launch on the Apple Store for delivery on December 21st. They've gotten some good reviews. What does this rank on your carometer? Well, I mean, if you own uh, the newest phone, which I don't, um, mm -hmm. then I guess that's pretty important. So I'd say it's a 10. And if they work, it's probably a 15 or a 20. I uh, I mean, but I don't know anything. I don't know anything about it, so it's like I'm just sort of guessing. I give it a four. Yeah, <laughs> why is it a four? I'm, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'll ever get them <laughs> right, right. So, because I'm gonna. Everyone says they're gonna new lose them. Yeah, that new Ferrari, man. Uh, I don't know about that car. <laughs> I don't. Jeez, man. You know. 
I like I like chewing on my wire and oh well that's a different issue yeah and there's a pair of uh, Sony earbuds that I've always used okay and they actually don't make them anymore and I knew that they're gonna stop making them so the one year for Christmas I told my wife buy me as many pair of these Sony earbuds as you can now you are doing something very bright very bright we live in a world where things that you like disappear almost instantly. Yes, because we tweak everything. Right. So if you find something you like, the best thing you can do, whether it's pants or whatever it is, <laughs> and I'm the king of that now. I mean, because I blew it for so many years. I buy a pair of pants. I really liked them. They really fit well. And then I'd wait. And then the next year I'd go back and they would be sort of the same, but not really the same. Mm -hmm. So learn that you should just scarf up everything that works for you and keep it <laughs> so that you can replace it each time. And Good someone job. might say, someone might say, well, you probably only need five headphones and that'll last you for the rest of your life. But, but whenever I accidentally leave them out on my desk, my cats will chew through them. Okay, there you go. The only downside of the Sony earbuds. Okay. And that's the only Sony product that I actually like. Because I remember when I was younger, I bought that Sony, the yellow Walkman. Yeah. And I dropped it on the floor once in high school and it, it was done. <sighs> And I was like, okay, I'm never buying a, a $60 Walkman again. I'm just going to go for the $10 cheapos. I remember we had a friend who actually worked for Sony, and we could get TVs for cheap. Mm -hmm. But that was back when they had the big cathode ray tubes in them. You know, yeah. The giant, and we had this giant TV that was like, you'd have to have basically you know, a football field to hold the thing. And so it <laughs> sat out in the middle of the room because the, the, you know, the back of it was so long. And and fortunately, shortly thereafter, uh, they switched to flat screens. But then he stopped working for Sony, so it wasn't wasn't helpful. So uh, birthdays, Lyle. We do have a couple of birthdays, not that many actually. Uh, Tori Kelly, a mm. uh, a new artist, relatively yep. speaking, is twenty four. Um, Alex Gathcarth from All Time Low is twenty nine. Beth Orton, uh, a sort of alternative diva, is yep. 46. And Mike Scott of the Waterboys, uh, a cult band, if there ever was one, is 58. All right. Happy birthday, guys. The number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 this week for a fifth week in a row, Black Beatles from Ray Shermerd featuring Gucci Mane. The number one album on the Billboard 200, the Hamilton mixtape. The number one song on iTunes this week, Darlin' Don't Go from Sundance Head. I guess he's a contestant on The Voice. Yes, apparently. I didn't watch, and I think it's the, the finals this week. I think he I think, won, didn't he? I think Yeah, he might have won, so that's probably why it's the number one song on iTunes. That's his name, Sundance Head? Yeah, apparently. Okay. <laughs> uh, the number one album on iTunes, For Your Eyes Only, from J. Cole, and the number one song on Spotify, not Black Beatles, but Deja Vu from J. Cole. Oh. People digging the J. Cole. There you go. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, Lila and I have our music picks of the week. Thank you for acknowledging my ability to continue my career for 34 years in the face of blatant misogyny, sexism, constant bullying, and relentless abuse. 
If you're a girl, you have to play the game. What is that game? You are allowed to be pretty and cute and sexy. But don't act too smart. Don't have an opinion. Don't have an opinion that is out of line with the status quo, at least. You are allowed to be objectified by men and dressed like a slut, but don't own your sluttiness. And do not, I repeat, do not share your own sexual fantasies with the world. Be what men want you to be, but more importantly, be what women feel comfortable with you being. All right, everybody, Jim Shear with Lyle Presler on the week in music. Uh, thank you for bearing with us during that quick. Thank you for bearing with us during that quick timeout. Resets us, recenters us. Those little break. I mean, we don't have actual commercials, but it's good to just break it up a little bit, you know. Yep. And it's good training if we ever if we ever do official. have commercials. <laughs> yeah, we have the breaks built in. But do we have to do reads? See, I want to do reads. I, I'm sure we You know, yeah, we I've been shaving with the hairy shaving system now for three <laughs> weeks. And I have to tell you. So uh, my music pick of the week. I didn't pledge last week to do all Christmas until Christmas actually hits. But I, I picked this because I wanted to hear your thoughts behind it. Oh, Come All Ye Faithful from Bad Religion mm. off their Christmas album, which was released a couple of years ago. So can we? Can, let's listen to it first, sure. and then we can talk afterwards. Mm-hmm. Oh, come all ye faithful from bad religion. Greg Gaffin, the uh, the lead singer of Bad Religion, he is a a, a naturalist. Mm. Some people call him an, an atheist, but he says, "No, I'm a naturalist." Mm-hmm. So he doesn't believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
yet he had all these great songs about the holiday that celebrates Jesus. Mm-hmm. So maybe it shows that he just he likes Christmas music. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you can like. I, I, well, first of all, I think you can like Christmas music without necessarily believing in what Christmas is uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is that I don't. I don't find there to be all that much of a disconnect between maybe not believing in something and yet acknowledging it as something that other people find important or powerful. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't necessarily see the difference there. I I mean it, it, there's a difference between proselytizing and simply acknowledging. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, there's a there's a big case, there's a big issue uh, that was in the papers today about um, if you remember uh, the Peanuts Christmas special, mm-hmm. where at one point Charlie Brown says, "Does anybody here know what Christmas really means?" He gets very frustrated, and Linus speaks up and he quotes from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And this was rather controversial when it was actually created. They, they were the network people were like, "I'm not so sure we're comfortable with you reading Bible passages on this little wonderful Christmas special you have going on." And Charles Schultz, who actually was not really a Christian, he was raised Lutheran, but he became what he called a secular humanist at a certain point, he justified it by basically saying, yeah, you know what? I mean, that's what Christmas is. And that's what Christmas is. I'm sorry, guys, but Christmas is a Christian holiday celebrating the birth of Jesus. I mean, you can yeah. you can do whatever you want to around it, and that's all fine, and I have no problem with it. I'm not a believer, but, it, but I acknowledge that that's what it is. And that's part of the whole element of the winter holiday. So, and just like people, I mean, one of the most secularized is Easter, (laughs) which -hmm. is interesting because Easter is probably a much more, in terms of religion, a heavier, much heavier kind of thing than Christmas could ever be. So, but I don't find it necessarily a problem that uh, Greg sings these songs because, after all, they are sort of part of the common hymnal, <laughs> if yeah, you will. And, I, and, and they play them straight, because when I listened to the album for the first time, I thought, oh, he's going to, like, tweak some of the lyrics. No. And I'm like, no, he, no. he plays them straight. Play them straight. Yeah. Yeah. And the great thing about uh, those songs is they do lend themselves to sort of a pop-punk kind of <laughs> mentality. Mm-hmm. And my friend Brian Baker is doing a great job on that song. Yeah. Have you ever talked to Brian about that album? No, no, I haven't talked to him about it, but I I know what his answer would be. It would be like, yeah, you know, it's Christmas songs. Play them. No problem. Whatever. (laughs) We'll do them. (laughs) All right. So what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is the Beach Boys, Little St. Nick, Mm. written by Mike Love and Brian Wilson. Uh, It uh, debuted on December 9th, 1963. When the Beach Boys were getting to becoming the biggest band in America, and we should listen to it. Okay, Little Saint Nick from the Beach Boys. Gets cold. There's a tale about Christmas. 
Christmas patch you've all been told And a real famous cat all dressed up in red And he spends the whole year working out in his sled It's the losing Classic. A classic. And what I like about this, there's a couple things I like about this song. First of all, um, whenever you have a Christmas mixtape and this thing comes mm-hmm. on in the middle of the other sort of, oh, holy no, it's like a wake-up call for you. Um, and, this, there's, and the other thing is, it's about a car. <laughs> it is. Little St. Nick is a hot rod. Oh, yeah. So it's not talking. So that's about, why you like it. Yeah. Well, no, it's not. That's not really why I like. And 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 there's there's two other reasons. One is because it really encapsulates the entire Beach Boys sound. I mean, the harmonies are all there. The 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 rhythm sections there. The structures there. It, it's very. It's 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 a little like. Actually, I think it's pretty much borrowed from Little Deuce Coop, uh, one of their other songs. But mm-hmm. the the other thing I like more than anything is the fact that he goes, Christmas comes this time each year. Which is so funny, because it's like, of course it does. It's on the calendar, dude. (laughs) But in thinking about that a little bit, I realized we're talking about Southern California people, right? Their whole lives have been spent there. There's no change of seasons to speak of. (laughs) So he's reminding you, I know you don't realize this, but Christmas actually comes each time this yeah this time each year, regardless of the fact that there's no leaves falling off the trees or snow or anything like that. See, you wouldn't have to remind someone from the Northeast about right. this. You wouldn't have to say Christmas comes this time each year. They go, yeah, got it. But in <laughs> California, you got you got to say these things because otherwise people just lose the thread. Very you know, good point. They, they go from Halloween to like you know to Easter, and they miss the whole thing. Once again, you're making a lot of good points this episode. <laughs> they're not there's, good there's, points. Um, they're points. <laughs> you, well, they're points. Um, the Band Aid Christmas song. Yeah. Do they know it's Christmas? Ugh. One of the, the most- one lyric and the one lyric in that is it won't it won't be snowing in Africa this Christmas. <laughs> right. I'm like, well, why would it snow in Africa? Well, thank you. 
<laughs> By the way, if it did, there'd be less drought, and therefore it would be a completely yes, different. Yes, there could e- be some type of the, irrigation. The, system. Exactly, the yeah. ecosystem would be completely different. It would. You wouldn't have the drought. Yeah, and then there was um the we are the world. We're totally going off course now. <laughs> where they're talking about Jesus turning stone into bread. Which he never did. Right. Like he was out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil said, Hey, you should turn this stone into bread. He's like, No, I'm not going to no, do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, it's, it's a cheap yeah. trick, man. I'm not. So I'm growing not... up in a Christian household, whenever that lyric was on the radio, you know, my dad would give a look, and I'm like, I know. And he'd, <laughs> yeah. he'd, I'm, inaccurate he'd give lyrics. Me that look like, Yeah, you, you and I both know that's not true. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> That knowing look. We're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we will play Ask Lyle. Hey everybody, we are back a couple weeks till Christmas, right? I guess so. Wait, there's this week, and then there's next week. So I guess we might only have like one more episode until we hit our Christmas break. Right. Yeah, that'll be it'll next have to be, week. It'll have to be festive. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll play Christmas music. We can talk about the best and worst of 2016 sure. and all that good stuff. So uh, one question for you today, Lyle. Oh, first of all, time to play... Ask Lyle. Ask Lyle. There we go. My question is, what do you think about Rogue One? New Star Wars movie. Everybody talking about it. Uh, They say it's supposed to be like a a gritty war movie. Mm. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I grew up, I mean, I remember going to the theater and seeing Star Wars when it came out. And I ended up going probably four times, you know, while it was out that that summer, right? Um, and of course, it was unlike anything we'd ever seen before. <clears throat> and you got drawn into the story. And at first, I think that most of the world didn't really know how to react to it. But by the second or the third one, then it became not only big business, but it became sort of a critic's thing to talk about. And then the the prequels came out, and I was obviously much older and a little less excited about the whole thing, but I kind of dutifully tried to watch them, and, and they were okay. I mean, some were better than others, whatever. And then, of course, there came the point where George Lucas decided, I'm sitting on this multi-billion dollar thing and I'm going to sell it to Disney. And I think it was $4 billion if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so $4 billion. That's a lot of money for any property. I mean, that's probably the most money that's ever been paid for a uh, an artistic property in the history of the world. And um, 
so he sells it, and of course we saw the first fruits of that uh, sale, and I thought it was okay. Um, my, mm-hmm. my daughter got into it, and which was nice and fun, and I thought that they did a good job with bringing in new characters and integrating the old characters and that kind of stuff. And But it was somewhat inevitable that they were going to try to figure out how can we maximize this property and and of course when you've spent four billion dollars that's four billion dollars out of your pocket okay a lot of money i mean that's a lot of money i mean you know literally a lot of money for disney that's a lot of money i mean like you got to actually sit there and write minus four billion (laughs) dollars off your bottom line and that's gonna look that's gonna i mean it might raise a few eyebrows if you will so um, I can understand them wanting to do this, and it's funny because they're calling it a Star Wars story, which which that that, that nomenclature is bothersome to me because I just remember when I was a kid, you know, seeing a book that said Star Trek, a Star Trek story, which if you <laughs> translated it meant. This was never part of anything anyone involved with the show ever thought about. (laughs) Some other person has been brought in and they are now doing this. And so I have a a, a knee-jerk reaction to it. I have to say that the the trailers I've seen uh, look like it's exciting, which it should Mm -hmm. be, which which it must be. Um, and I have to say, I'm a sucker for this stuff. I'm mean, just a total sucker for it. I think, it, I, I mean, I, I love it. I think, I, th- I love the, 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 I love the sort of combination of futuristic and yet old school technology kind right. of things that go on in so there. So you're gonna go see it? Oh, I'm, I'm. My daughter will not let me not see it. So I mean, okay. I, I'm definitely gonna see it. There's no question about that. Um, but I, I think that. It's going to be interesting to see if they can figure out a way to knit all this stuff together, because mm-hmm. they're gonna re- they're gonna continue with the series that they started, right? So yeah. you know, in the last scene we saw Luke, and so we're gonna we're gonna have to go somewhere with that, and so but the only problem for them is now we're getting all out of time, like we're expected to, and 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 I've tried to explain this to my wife, you know, she's like, well, wait a minute. Is this, are any of the people that we know in this? I'm like, well, I think Darth Vader's in it. She goes, but then Darth Vader's dead, so when is this? I'm like, well, it's before. She's like, it's just getting too confusing. And and I agree <laughs> with her, it's getting too confusing. I mean, it's going to be very difficult. Now, if you're British and you've been a Doctor Who fan, then you're used to this stuff. But I think that for for other people, it's going to be very difficult to sort of figure out where we are in this timeline Okay, so I think that's going to be one of their big problems. And I think at a certain point, they're going to try the patience of people. Yeah, because you always talk about burn. Yeah. So 20 years from now, are we going to still be excited about Star Wars movies that come out every year? No, no, I don't think so. And I think, as a matter of fact, I think what it will do is, and I think George Lucas knows this. Now, George Lucas has, has gone on record and saying, like, I had all these ideas and they didn't want any of them. Okay, but he sold his company. So mm-hmm. when you see Lucasfilm, you think, "Oh, it's George Lucas." It's not. He's not involved in it at all. He sold mm-hmm. the whole thing, lock, stock, and barrel. They just have the rights to the name. Okay, so 
here's the thing. I think what will happen is it'll reflect back on the originals. And people will look back and go, oh, yeah, that that's the stuff. That's the stuff. So I mm-hmm. think it burnishes the reputation of those films. I think See, it, I think 14 years from now, people will be like, oh, I'm sick of these Star Wars movies. And then on the 17th year, there'll be an awesome Star Wars movie. And people are like, oh, did you see that one? That bring that brought it back, right? Like right. it's back on track, right? Exactly, and that's that's what they're hoping for. I mean, but I think that it's interesting. There's a there's a great there was a great PBS series many many years ago, Joseph Campbell, who wrote a lot about myth and the importance of myth in 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 our in culture. He did a whole thing about Star Wars, and Star Wars is a myth that follows I mean the the ancient Greeks could have written Star Wars because mm-hmm. it follows exactly along the the all the conventions are there every convention is there and I think that people will always gravitate to those films they will look dated they will look more and more dated as time goes on and I don't like the fact that they go back and try to like make them look better I don't think they should I think they should right. leave them the way they are but mm-hmm. They will look better. So I think George Lucas probably shrewdly said, you know what? I'm going to sell this thing, and no one in my lineage will ever have to worry about money again, or else Mm -hmm. I'll just give it all to some charity. But he knew that all of this stuff that Disney was going to do was going to burnish his original vision. So he's, he's the bright guy in all this stuff. Okay, but I'm so I'm still gonna go back. see it, and and you know I'll see those X-wing fighters come swinging in, and I'll I'll love it. Okay, so there you go, Lyle Presler on Rogue One, <laughs> a Star Wars story. Uh, that will do it for us. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. So uh, for Lyle Presler, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later. Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building.